0: As I said earlier, we're going to be in Acts chapter two, so I'd love for you to take your Bibles out and turn to uh, that chapter with me. Appreciate so much the thoughtful way that these men have led us in worship already today, and the preparation that they put into saying something that's meaningful to us and leading songs that are appropriate to the message of the of the day. So I appreciate that so very much. We have that uh, today, and we have it every week um, from different folks who lead us. So. Welcome, welcome today. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, once again, happy Easter, happy Sunday. So glad that we get to be together to uh, celebrate what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And we commune with Him, and uh, it's just been a blessing to us. As Merv said, a group of us were in the Philippines a week ago. Got home on Monday, and it's just, it was a great trip. We'll share more about that later on. Uh, but it's good to be back home and able to worship with our, our church family here at Hoover today. And uh, it's a, a blessing. We missed it while we were gone. Um, the, uh, the, the church, the early church, the church that you read about in the book of Acts had a, had a very simple message uh, It was a message that they repeated over and over again and it was what drew them together as believers it, it, it brought them together on a weekly basis more often than that really They came together daily at least in Jerusalem for a while but They did something special on Sunday They did something special on the first day of every week the message that they preached, the message that they proclaimed not only on Sunday but every day of the week and, and, and the message that permeated the preaching of Peter and Paul and the others and that influenced the believers' lives and, the, and it made them different. It, it gave them this commonality that drew them together as believers was that the tomb was empty. That Jesus Christ was crucified and that he was resurrected on the third day. And that was the message. I, I, again, I, I said this earlier. And I've probably said it to you before, but I'm, I'm constantly amazed by, I'm often amazed by how often this theme is mentioned in the, in the, in the Bible. And uh, in, in, you go through the book of Acts, and you look at every sermon that was preached, that's recorded. Here's the one in Acts 2, uh, some that Paul preached. Uh, and and you, what you're going to find, what Paul wrote, what you're going to find is throughout when it talks about Jesus, it usually is going to say something about his death, and it's going to join that to the resurrection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, when, when Paul is saying this is the message, this is the basic message of the gospel: Jesus Christ was crucified, Jesus Christ was buried, and he was raised up. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15:1 through 4. He says, This is the gospel, the crucifixion of Christ the burial of Jesus, and the fact that the tomb was empty that Sunday morning. And so it's no surprise to us when we come to the first sermon that was preached after the death of Jesus, the first gospel sermon. Jesus had spent some time with the apostles, of course, but this is after the ascension of Christ. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And then you've got, in the very next chapter, that was in Acts 1, the very next chapter you've got this first sermon that was preached. And it is interesting. If you had to to sum this sermon up, up, in a word, it would be the resurrection. It would be the fact that the tomb was empty, that God has raised Him up, and so it's all over the place. And I want us to focus for a few minutes on this Jesus. I love this expression here, the title of the message today, and um, I hadn't noticed how often that this expression is used in the in the New Testament. In fact, you've got you've got it used in Acts one, which is which precedes what we're going to talk about today, but. When the disciples were gathered together, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. They were talking to Jesus, and then all of a sudden He ascended up in their presence, and they were watching Him, and He disappeared into the clouds, and they were trying to figure out what in the world is going on. The angels appeared to them, and they said, in verse 11, they said, why, why, are you, why are you standing here looking into heaven? What are you doing? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. That This Jesus, this Jesus is... As Brother Harold was talking about in our communion thoughts this morning, this Jesus, this expression here, is used. In fact, Peter uses it several times in his sermon in Acts 2, and we'll, we'll look at that. It's interesting. When, when they're talking about Jesus, they say often, this Jesus. There were a lot of Jesuses. That was a common, it's a common name. They're not talking about the Jesuses. All right? they're, not talking about, they're not talking about anybody normal. They're talking about this Jesus. Jesus, separated him from all the others who were crucified, separated him from others who had done amazing things. This Jesus has been proclaimed to be both Lord and Christ. That's where Peter's going to go with it in Acts 2. So, so this Jesus, let's think about it. Peter starts his sermon in, in Acts 2, 14, when he stands up and he defends some accusations they were saying. They were speaking in languages they hadn't studied in tongues, different languages, and uh, they were accused of being drunk. And he said, this, this isn't drunkenness. It's too early in the day. This isn't drunkenness. Um, we, uh, we're only doing, verse, verse 16, we're only doing what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2 and verses 17 through 21. But look at verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth... A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. I want to walk through this sermon with you a little bit. We'll move kind of quickly through the first part of this because I want you to see the, where where Peter is going with it. But he, he starts out by saying Jesus of Nazareth, who was attested with mighty works. So he's saying you you know what he did showed you that he was not he was not just a man, right? He's not just another Jesus. He's not just one of the many Jesuses or the same word Joshua. He's not this, He's not just another Jesus, another Joshua. This Jesus of Nazareth was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Peter's talking to people who knew what Jesus had done. I mean, they had, these These folks had seen Jesus. They had, they had seen the, the mighty works. They had witnessed the people who were disabled to get up and walk. They had seen those who were blind to be, begin to see, those who couldn't speak to, for their tongues to be loose. It was, it was an amazing thing that they had seen, but many of them had turned their eyes away from it, been convinced by the religious leaders of their day, and not let the evidence point them to what they should have known, and that is that this Jesus is not just a man, Right? This Jesus was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. But then look at this. Verse 23, this Jesus. So Jesus of Nazareth was attested to you by God with mighty works. But verse 23, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he says this Jesus who was attested by God with wonderful works, this Jesus you delivered up. And you crucified him. And they knew. We're talking seven weeks. Seven weeks and two days is the way we would regard it. Fifty-one days earlier on that Friday. This is Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. We would count this, our way of counting, we'd go 51 days back to that Friday when he was crucified. So we're talking seven weeks later, you know. We're talking, we're talk, Peter's talking to people who were there. They would come for Passover, and they would stay for a while. Many of them would. They would, they would come for Passover, and they came from all different parts of the Roman Empire, so they would, many of them would stay in Jerusalem and stay there for the, the, the Feast of Weeks, and they would culminate in the celebration of Pentecost. That's what this is talking about in Acts 2. So these people had been there. Many of these people had been there. They had been in the crowd that had shouted, Crucify Him, crucify Him, let His blood be on us and on our children. So they were there. Many of them were. Peter says, this Jesus, who was proven with what He did to be the Messiah, you delivered Him up. You crucified Him. According to God's plan and foreknowledge, which is mind-boggling, they did it out of wickedness, you know? They did it out of rebellion, and yet God is able to manipulate and to use Manipulate is not the right word. Because that might carry a negative connotation. But God is able to use, He's able to to take the, the wickedness that we commit, the acts of rebellion that we commit, and He's able to take those bad things and use them to do good. And that's what He did with the cross. Though they were guilty in what they had done, it was according to God's plan, His definite plan and foreknowledge, that this would happen. So God, as Harold was saying earlier, in before the earth was even created, God looked down, saw our need, and was able to use our own sinfulness to bring about the greatest act of human history, the death of Christ. Isn't that, isn't that great? Crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, verse 24, this Jesus, God raised him up. This is where Peter's been going with the sermon. All right, so he's talked about the, what Jesus did, how he lived. He's talked about the death, but he briefly mentions those. Only, in our Bibles, only one verse about what Jesus did. Only one verse here in verse 23 about the crucifixion. But almost the rest of the entire sermon is about the resurrection, starting in verse 20, 24. So 22, what he did. 23, the no crucifixion. 24, through the end of it, he talks about, but God raised him up. That's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. There were a lot of people who did amazing things. There were a lot of people who were crucified. But God raised this Jesus up, losing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, this is quoting from the Psalms, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Text that they had been reading for years, Peter now understood to have been pointing to Jesus. And so when he quotes from David, he's saying, Now I see that even the resurrection of Christ had been talked about. David lived a thousand years before Christ. Brothers, verse 29, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David wasn't talking about his own tomb. Verse 30, he's talking about being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, that is, where the dead go, where you go when you die. Nor did his flesh see corruption. His body wasn't in the tomb long enough to decay. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. You see what Peter's doing here? He goes back to Psalms and he says, This is what David was talking about. All along, we thought he was talking about his own body, perhaps, or his own grave. Or maybe we didn't know what he was talking about for sure, but now we know he wasn't talking about his own tomb, because you can visit... or you you understand that David's body is still in the tomb. He wasn't talking about his own body because his, his body decayed. His body is still there. A thousand years after David had been buried, his remains were still where they were put when David died. David wasn't talking about his own tomb. He's looking ahead to the, the tomb of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter is saying, Jesus, who is attested by God of wonderful works, he was delivered up by you to be crucified, and yet God raised him up. And I I love this theme because I think this is the greatest apologetic uh, evidence for, for Christ's identity is the empty tomb. It's the fact that they could have made a short walk from where they were when Peter preached to them. They could have produced the body. They could have gone to the tomb perhaps and said, look, they're lying. This is the body of Jesus right where it was put. It was placed seven weeks ago. They could have done that if the body had been there. There's no other explanation for the empty tomb other than that God raised him up. And that's what Peter is drawing on here in his sermon. This this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. We've seen him, right? We come together today. We'll come together next Sunday. The Sunday after that. The one after that. I love the fact that our our message is going to be the same. Now, we'll talk about different texts, and we'll talk about different applications of the text, and we'll think about what God is saying to us through a specific portion of the Word, but the message we preach week in and week out is the same. And that is what draws Christians all over the world together this day, is that we all celebrate the same event. That's why we're here. And that's why when we go to work tomorrow, our lives will not be defined by how successful we are or are not in our jobs. And when we settle up our financial accounts, that our worth will not be determined by how big the nest egg is. Right? And that when we're Measuring things the way the world does with success or power or money or whatever it is. That we know that is not not what makes us who we are. Rather, we're defined by the fact that we follow the resurrected Christ. And the same power that raised him up will raise us up. And so we look to that day with confidence. That's why we're here today. That's why we go to work or school or interact with neighbors tomorrow differently than other folks. It's because of the empty tomb. This Jesus God raised up. That is what convinced more than 3000 after this sermon. God got a hold of them. And help them to connect the dots, the wondrous works, the crucifixion, the passage from David, the empty tomb. What other explanation is there other than what Jesus said about himself was true? That he was not just a man. He was God in a man. Now, look at this last last thing. Peter... Peter's building this, you know, he starts with what Jesus did. He says, you delivered him up and you crucified him, but God raised him up, but it doesn't stop there. This is, this is an upward trajectory in Peter's sermon because he says in, uh, in verse 33, this Jesus God raised up, verse 32. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. You see Peter's trajectory here, what Jesus did, the crucifixion, the resurrection, but then the exaltation of Christ. He ascended and was exalted through the resurrection to the right hand of God. Peter says, this is where the story of Jesus was always going. In verse 36, and he uses this word, therefore. Oh, man. Therefore. What in the world does that mean? You know, I mean, he can talk about a lot here. Peter says, verse 36, therefore, based on everything I've said, what, what he did, the crucifixion, the resurrection, through the exaltation, therefore... You need to know that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Look at it. This Jesus whom you crucified. God has therefore made him both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Christ, the one you crucified. This Jesus. This Jesus. And perhaps we ought to say something more about the therefore. Therefore, he's made him both Lord and Christ. What does that mean for us? Therefore, we go to work differently tomorrow. Therefore, we, we engage in our marriage relationships differently, our relationships with anyone differently. Therefore, we live a different kind of life. Therefore, our lives are called to be holy and sanctified. Therefore, because we follow this Jesus and because He is both Lord and Christ, we're, we're different now. We're called to be different. And I think there's a challenge for us, especially on days like Easter Sunday. And as we've already said, I'm thankful, and I think we're all so grateful that people throughout the world are calling on Jesus today, perhaps, and, and taking a break from their busy lives. And maybe the dawn of spring, you know, as spring be- begins, we, we think about that empty, empty tomb. But Peter's message calls us to something more than a once-a-year proclamation, you know? It calls us something more than that. God has made him both Lord and Christ. You know what Lord means? It means master. It means that he is not just Jesus. He's not just a symbol of the springtime. He's not just pretty dresses and nice suits. He's not just coming to church, right? He is master, Lord of all. He makes a claim on your life, on my life. An everyday claim. You see, God has made this same Jesus, both Lord and Christ, exalted to the right hand of God. And so I cannot, we cannot simply call on him unless we are changed by him. We don't celebrate an event without considering the implications of an event. And so when we think about resurrection, we think about what that means for who we are and how we live. And throughout the rest of the New Testament, the apostles are going to point back to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and they are going to say, therefore, therefore. In baptism, you see what happens here? In baptism, it's a symbolic moment because it is an an imitation of what happened at the cross. Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, When you come to faith in Christ, you believe that the tomb was empty. You say, I am not my own. I have rebelled against you, and I am wicked, and I stand in need of judgment. But thank God, because of what you did for me, I am dying to self. And we take your body, and we bury you in the grave. But just like Jesus, you're raised up. Paul uses that metaphor in Romans 6 when he says... That we are raised to walk in newness of life. Therefore, even the very act of conversion goes back to the cross and resurrection. A burial and a raising up. That's the gospel we preach every single week. And I I hope it's a message that resonates with you. Maybe there's someone here who needs to trust in Jesus Christ and be baptized into him. It might be you're there for today. Therefore in view of Easter, in view of resurrection, I acknowledge that he is not only Lord, but he's my Lord. Not only the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, but he is my anointed one, my savior. Maybe that's the therefore for you today. Maybe the therefore for you is, you made that confession a long time ago, but quite honestly, it's lost its luster. And you come here as one who needs to say to the Lord once again, I want you to be my Lord again. Maybe that's the therefore. Maybe the therefore for us is that, you know, I just need once again, I need my faith to be resurrected. I need... I need my own, my own fervency, my own zeal, my own passion once again to be what it once was and for me to say through my life and through my actions that Jesus is my Lord and my Christ, my Savior. Maybe that's the therefore. I don't know. We probably have different, different implications for the, for the cross and for the empty tomb, but every one of us has one. And I know it is this. I know it is this. That this Jesus, who was attested by God with wonderful work, works, who was delivered up by lawless people and crucified, whom God raised up, and who was exalted to the right hand of God, that the therefore is, it changes us. It changes who we are. If you need to make some sort of a public change today, we're here as a community of believers to rally around you as, to do that, as you do that, perhaps in baptism, perhaps in request for prayer, perhaps in a private moment where you get down on your knees in, in the presence of God and say to him, I have let the, 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 the tomb, in so many ways I've let the tomb remain occupied in my mind and through my life, but I want once again to acknowledge that Jesus is my Lord in Christ. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come. Let's stand and let's sing this song together. Hey! Uh-huh.